How you doing, folks? Two seconds, just get everything else sort of sorted here. A couple of wee things to go. Right. So, I uh, I was asked when was I going to do this video. I've been asked a lot of times about this video, about my latest experience on um, ayahuasca and Bufo, etc. And to be honest, I've actually avoided doing it recently up until now because um it's a fucking it was it was a it was a tough process. I'm still not fully um head's not fully right yet. So I'll probably do a lot of waffling about this to be honest. Um partly um for me to for me to be honest about what my experience here it's gonna require me to be very vulnerable. I'm gonna have to leave myself open to a lot of um ridicule from a lot of people because what I experienced and what happened can't really be um, explained rationally. And the society we live in, you know, we're very scientifically minded. We've lost the spirituality. We've lost that connection. And the things I'm going to say are not going to run congruent with people's beliefs of what happens on the other side, shall we say. Um, we're very analytical in our thinking these days and spiritualities taking, um, taking a back seat but after after going through what I went through, especially on the last night, um, yeah, I'm no longer atheist. I can 100% say that. So where to start with? Well, day one, but I don't even know. See, I'm all over the place because it is such a crazy experience. Um, Dean, how's it going, mate? Michael, how's it going? Uh, night one, done the ayahuasca. Now, I was in a different, I was a different place mentally to where I was on the, my first experience on it. I was far more open, um, far more comfortable with the process of what was going to happen, or so I thought anyway. And uh, because it was more open, I feel the ayahuasca um, entered my body and, and produced a lot more effect. First night, not really anything profound happened. I was tripping balls. The way I described it was like a really really strong mushroom trip, you know, breathing walls, purging out, like, for some reason, the first night, that's both nights, the first night I purged, like, I purged mostly through diarrhea, just, whoa, I spent, I spent a good hour on the bog, like, throughout that night, and then that, when it's in the toilet, sitting there, the rooms just were forming on me, and coming in on me, but it was a good experience, because the last time I'd done ayahuasca, the three ayahuasca journeys I had, nothing happened, absolutely nothing. I didn't get any effect from the ayahuasca whatsoever. This time it was it was good because it was like it was almost like Mother Ayahuasca was telling me, I do exist. I am here. And um so I had a good experience. Nothing crazy, just trippy and you know, giggles and laughs and I enjoyed it. And it was day two. Let me see. So sorry I'm lying. it was day three. So Thursday night was the Thursday night on the ayahuasca. So Thursday night arrived there on the first trip. Day two, um, after the integration, first group done Bufo. I decided I wasn't going to do Bufo this time. I wasn't. I didn't feel ready for Bufo after the profound experience on my first journey, but I knew I was going to do it that weekend and there was going to be a second opportunity on the Saturday. So I decided to wait for that. And instead I opted for Yapo and um, Ayahuasca on the night. Now the Yapo, Yapo's shoved up powder push up through your nose, blood up your nose and within minutes it's like it's DMT. It basically puts you into a 
put you in DMT world very soon. Now, what I did experience again, just like the last job experience I had, it was all about warriors. It was it was warriors. It was it was it was aggressive. It was violent, and I'm not going to get into other people's journeys. That wouldn't be my place. But there was one girl her who was this very strong, powerful, beautiful black woman from Nigerian descent, and she did not have a good experience on the oppo. But as I said to her, I was grateful for her bad experience because the screams, and I mean the scream from this girl, this woman, it was the most powerful, intimidating scream I've ever heard. But it brought out the warrior fight in me. It was crazy. It was like I was lying on my back and the candle that was above me on the windowsill was casting shadows onto the ceiling on of of plants. The plants that were going um, were the, the plants that were on the windowsill as well. And this brought me into like the only way I can describe it, it was like a Maori. You know, I was I was like surrounded by like a Maori tribe, shall we say? And we were going to battle and there were there was a mu there was music playing in the background and it was this very aggressive um African man like you know, that's really crazy, like warrior like the hacker. They were singing like like the hacker almost. And it was bringing me into this zone where I felt like we were going to war. And then her scream just came. It, she was brought out to the other room at, the, at this point. And her scream pierced the song. And it cast up images of her standing there in like tribal gear, surrounded by like war African warrior princesses, shall we say. And there was this battle going on. But we would not we would not attack her because her scream was so powerful. That's all I can tell you about that. It was crazy. It was really experience. It was a really it was it wasn't profound, shall we say, but it was a very um it was an it was an exciting feeling, so it was. It was like this I understand I can understand how tribes when they go to war, how they get psyched up. You could feel that psych, that energy. But the most profound experience for me that night was the ayahuasca hit later on. I'd done a booster. And I got and I, I, I wasn't thinking the ayahuasca was actually happening at this point. I didn't feel like anything was happening. But about two hours after the Yapo, and this is the only thing I really can remember. I can't remember anything else about this, but it was one of the most profound experiences of my life was I was I found myself walking my four-year-old son to school. I don't have a four-year-old son. But I knew intrinsically it was my four-year-old son and he was wearing a black outfit like he was going to, uh, shame as you should, but he was going to a funeral. That's when he, he, was, he was dressed like he would dress a child. Going for this child was beautiful. He, black hair, um, dark, dark, Gail's eyes, dark, dark brown eyes. And... I, I I was speaking to Roshi, one of the facilitators, and her her sort of speciality is ancestral planes and um constellations. And I didn't know what I didn't know what to make of it. I was like, oh Roshi, I don't have a son, but then she pointed something out to me that was very true. She's like, You had Thor. So Gail and I lost the baby in October and we were forced to Gail was forced to give birth yet because of COVID. We were forced to um go through labor. And the when you when you when you're put in that position, you know where you have to, you have to you have to experience. When when you having a child is meant to be a joyful occasion. Do you know you're going into you're going into 
bring a new life into your family and it's going to be your channel. But we didn't. We knew that we were just going in and it wasn't going to be a birth, it was going to be a delivery and that we were going to give birth to a dead child. It wasn't a child. That, that, that wasn't really formed. My Thor, his head wasn't formed properly. His, his, his head was flat and his intestines were hanging on the outside. It was a, it was a very traumatic experience for us. But I think my, my way of dealing with it was to look after Gail and to tell myself that it didn't bother me because I've experienced between between Gail, um, my ex-partner, the mother of my children, and my and ex-fiance, I've I've had seven, I've went through seven abortions and miscarriages. And um I, in my head I told myself that do you know that this is number seven, this isn't a problem for me, this is easy. I've I've been through this before, it's not gonna affect me. And I think that was a story I was telling myself. Obviously, I'm stories telling myself, but ayahuasca, you can't hide from your emotions. You can't hide from your subconscious. You can't hide from it, things like this. And uh, yeah, what I realized was that this was maybe my way. Now, I really don't know, unless you've done ayahuasca, unless you're in my head, and it felt real. That it, it, it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, this is me processing the miscarriage. This was me walking my four-year-old son to school. And I could see, he was beautiful. He was stunning. And I forget emotional to cry here. It, 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 I'm still not fully processed in the in the journey. And um, it caused up a lot of a lot of stuff that I'm really trying to deal with. Um, not fully, I'm not fully there. In fact, I'm definitely not fully there at all. It, it showed me that I'm not, that I wasn't, that I hadn't processed this miscarriage and that, it did affect me profoundly. Like you've got to understand that I, I seen that I seen Thor being delivered. He was laying there, he was his arm was hanging out, his leg was hanging out. It was it was that was my son. And I don't have a son. And I, and I and I think as a man, a man's man, like you know, MMA background and just as a man, I, I always had a dream of having a son that was going to I was going to be able to share my knowledge with and take him through his MMA life experiences and all, you know, and I was going to share these moments with him, and I had like almost like had it planned out, but obviously it wasn't meant to be. So I think I've repressed those feelings, those emotions, and by doing so, I um I stored away emotions that hadn't been dealt with, and that left me raw. It left me vulnerable at it, and I I, I literally I cried for a good three hours that night. And the next day, I was still very down about it. And I still am very down about it, you know. It's almost like the ayahuasca showed me what I've been deprived of. And it's hard. It's, it's hard to sort of deal with that now. It, it's cast up something that I've locked away for a year, for like near, nearly a year. And I didn't actually realize, I'm going to start crying. And I actually didn't realize that um that it affected me that profoundly. Um, But yeah, that, that it was... It was something that I was. I was sort of glad that I was on my own this time. Though at that point I wasn't. I wasn't. Gail wasn't going down me. I was meant to go down my friend, but he had to pull out in the last minute. So it was sort of like the universe was telling me I had to do this by myself. And um, in a way, I wish I'm glad I did process it by myself. In a way, it wasn't pro without Gail. But at that moment in time, I wanted Gail to be there because it was something that we had both went through, and I felt like had. I'd had her support there would have been made things a bit easier. But I did phone her and she ended up having a, a cry over it because sorry that thing away. Um because it 
It affected her body as well. So that was that was basically the only that was the only experience I can remember from the first night, though very profound. Now, some people will say, "Oh, did you, it's your subconscious," and other people will say, "No, that was Thor visiting you and telling you it's all right." I don't know. I really don't. Um, I can only tell you what I felt. I can only tell you what my belief is. My belief is that I was visited by my son. I don't care what anyone says anymore, um, especially after the last evening. But um, I do believe that it was like partly my subconscious casting up the unresolved trauma. But I do believe that Thor came to visit me to sort of put me at ease in a way to help me sort of deal with those repressed emotions and let him, to let me know that it's okay. Um, the next day, so I'm pretty raw about this. The, 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 I woke up the next day. I was emotional. I was, I was, I was, I was very. Energy was low, but, um, yeah, that's all I can say. I was low, and then went into integration and spoke about it. Um, cried a bit, and then it was time for Bufo. Now the Bufo, the Bufo is my medicine. Without doubt, the Bufo has me has um twice. It's brought me up to two profound experiences. So the first experience, it was about my mummy, and uh, dealing with the 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 fallout of my parents. And this one again, even though I've made up my parents this time, it was about um my inner child yet again, and the um lack of relationship between my dad and me when I was um when I was growing up. Now. What you gotta understand is the Bufo, um as a 44-year-old man with all my life experiences, right? I can rationalize the lack of relationship between me and my father's grown up. But as a child, the Bufo brings me back. I, I, when I'm under the Bufo, I am not the 44-year-old man. I'm that six-year-old child, that six-year-old child who can't understand why his daddy is choosing golf over him, why his dad isn't there, why he's always being shouted at for things that he doesn't understand. And my dad and I growing up didn't have a great relationship. Um I don't blame my dad, you know, it was like at the end of the day I, I sort of cast myself back to having a six year old child. I have a, I have a, I have a four year old and eight year old and I'm forty four. My dad was I think he was twenty nine, thirty when he had 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 me at six and I think back to the maturity level I was at 30 and how I acted when I was 30. And there's no fucking hope in hell that I, as a 30-year-old man, I was capable of raising a child. I'm glad I didn't have children until I was 36. And even 36, I still wasn't ready, to be honest. It's only this last two or three years have I actually realised, um, no problem, Belfast Vegan Food Diary. Um, it's only now I've realised what I can, you know, what is required to be a father, What what's... What um how important this role is, how important this job is. But so what happened was took the bufo, knew I was going on there, felt done DMT so many times, and I felt that I felt it coming up my legs and that tinny sort of metallic -y sound that happens, and I went out. And I can remember I was holding my heart, I was hugging myself, and Monique, one of the facilitators, she told me that my scream coincided with her putting the rattle to my heart and rattling. So I remember, Andy, how's it going, mate? I remember um, the feeling 
of a lost child being inside me. And um, I remember the scream coming. I, I was crying slightly. And then this this rage, this in, in, internal rage just came from me. And again, that scream came from the pit of my stomach, actually down my hip again. And it just it, it came out of me. And I can remember, like, I remember the rattles. And, the, and when that scream came, the rattles started. And the the, the shamanistic drums get out coming around me again, beating really hard on top of me. And that energy from the drums and the rattles stirring this scream inside of me. And this rage just came out of me. Repressed rage of the six-year-old, frustrated six-year-old who just wants to play football with his daddy and is always being told he can't for whatever reason. And even if the reasons are logical, you know, as an adult, as a six-year-old child, you just don't understand it. And you've got the understandable, you maybe don't understand, but when you're when you're going through this, like I can look at a six-year-old now and see the frustration because they, they don't understand life the way an adult does. And at that moment in time, I am not me. I'm this six-year-old child who's crying and just wants to be held by his daddy. And I can remember saying that. I can remember the scream coming out of me and just rolling into the fetal position. And I can remember rolling into the fetal position. And then, like, the scream came louder and louder. I lost my voice, like, for days. But then it was like I'd, I'd repressed all of it and just I collapsed. And I can actually remember my arm being across my body and sort of rolling under my front and the snot coming out of my face and the, the mouth and my eyes, tears. And I was crying. And I can actually remember saying, Daddy, why don't you just love me? Daddy, why don't you just love me? Daddy, why don't you just love me? And I kept saying this over and over and over again. And then it, it was like, almost as if I was growing up in the journey. And I, I was I was moving from a six-year-old to a ten-year-old. And as I, as I got older and older, I started to realise my dad did love me. And that it was, it was just his own issues of, of his repressed child what had prevented him from actually engaging as a father at that point in my life and I felt this overwhelming um, emotional forgiveness and understanding towards my dad and um, I, th I never actually realised I had these repressed emotions to be honest with you um, I just remember feeling that I could under I could, I could resonate with him a bit more, and I understood, and I was able to I was able to forgive myself, and understand. Maybe not forgive myself, not the right word, but I was able to. It was like the six year old in me could start um, processing why he wasn't there and understand that it wasn't my fault, and uh, that sort of was able to put me at ease, and I could feel the I could feel the uh, the pain subside and leave me. And it did like it left me, it left me really, really emotional. Like I cried, I, I cried for hours. I, like like even up to the ayahuasca journey, I had to go to the van and cry a few times. Like and if I was talking to people, my eyes would start welling up, and I would start just tears would start coming out again. And it it showed me like you know, as a society, we are all the same. Like yeah, there's probably people listening to this now, people listening to this later, and they'll be laughing, calling me a dick and whatever, and. I have to laugh at it because going through that experience and understand watching other people go through experience, I'm a lot previous experience. I went through six ayahuasca journeys, two beautiful, plus I've done five MEO DMT a load of times myself, but never like this. Um, but you know, 
we've all got inner children and we've all got um unrepressed issues from our childhood experiences that we've repressed and, and like sort of buried deep down us and it's it's although we think it's um it's dealt with it comes out as anger and that's why I see the IC society is sick now because there's so much repressed rage inside of us that if we don't deal with the rage it it manifests as anger and look what happens to the world. So that was my Bufo experience. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm not as detailed as my last one, but genuinely, like the what happened over this weekend, I'm still, probably wasn't the right time even to do this, but I feel like I want to talk about it now. I, I probably need to process a bit more. But um, then that night, so that night you've got the ancestral night. Now, this is the bit that I was always dubious about even talking about because I don't, I think there's going to be a lot of, um, I'm leaving myself open for a lot of ridicule here but I really don't care to be honest because I know inside myself what I felt what I, what, what I, what I smelt what, what, what happened and I also know though like I said it's not my place to tell other people's stories I also know from talking to other people in that group they experienced similar and I've seen things that happened as well that were like just can't be explained through the rationale we, we judge society on today but um, so it's ancestral night, and what we're the the way that a lot of these um, the shamanistic shamans believe is that our that our, our journeys, our life, like we we go through many lives, and we're either the victim or the the perpetrator, the victim or the perpetrator, and it's got to go like that. An ancestral trauma happens, so if something happens in a family in our pre in a family in a past life, we have to come back and we have to go through that journey until, and we have to keep repeating these cycles until someone breaks a cycle. So there was a lot of things, crazy things happen for other people. But for me, the first thing we do is, so you go in and you um, you meditate on the mantra. So the mantra is, my name is Paul Murray. My mother's name is Sally Murray. My father's name is Dora Murray. My mother's father is John McDonald. My mother's father is um, Sally McDonald. My, mother, my father's mother is Nancy Murray. My father's father is Sean Murray. I call upon my ancestors to be with me in my journey tonight. And I added some. I added a lot more words to it that to make it more personal to me. Um, and I decided I I made a commitment to myself. It's like you know something for every experience I've had this weekend and the last one. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this serious. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna park what um what I've been made believe for so many years, and I'm actually going to I'm just embrace this journey i'm going to break i'm going to embrace what happens here so i went in fully committed and the words that i put emotions to the word i put feelings to the word and i really really wanted to call my granda in um the reason being was because my granda i remember when he was well for those who don't know my granda um, died of a stroke in front of me i brought him back you know brought him, he had a stroke in front of me i called my dad i remember my dad being a scurvy boys. He just took a second seizure, and I put him on the floor. I was a lifeguard. Started performing stuff on him. Got him back, and um, he was in the hospital for three months before he died. And it was hard to watch my granddad, who was a fit eighty-four year old man. He just walked meds every day, and then this man just withering away, wasting away. And there were some days he was like a child. Other days he was this but he couldn't talk. And there was one time I was talking to him. It was the last time I spoke to him, and I, I knew he was my granddad. And he mumbled something, and I tried, and I could could never understand it. And I can, but I, the one thing I remember is I can remember saying, "Granda, I am sorry. I don't understand what you're saying." They, my granda was very close to me, my hero. I lived them for twelve years solid. 
you know, until he was until Day died. And um I remember just his face, he was frustrated and I went, Grant, I don't know what you're talking about, I can't understand you. And I just remember his words going, and I knew he said, It's okay, don't worry about it. But it killed me to it killed me to not be able to have that last conversation. So I was really hoping to have that last conversation with Grant. And I have had a couple of experiences in DMT where my grand has come to me. Um and this time, though this time it didn't happen, but what it did what it did notice was when I started the meditation, my breath started to go and I couldn't breathe. It was like I really couldn't breathe properly. And it was getting me uncomfortable. So it was like I was starting to freak out going, if I got COVID, that's how bad it was getting. It was like and I couldn't get the breath in. So I had to go outside and I was talking to Neela and Gary, who were two two couples there, actually the girl that had the the who had the screaming incident in the, in the previous night. And she was all saying she couldn't breathe. And we were talking about constellations and we we're talking about all this stuff. And I was actually saying about how my mind has sort of moved from like believing the scientific literature stuff to more spiritual and actually being more open to believing that there's spirits and believing the thing just because of the, of the profound experience it was having. And um, th- this just epiphany happened. I was like, and I jumped up. I was like, fuck, fuck. Fuck my nanny died of a, of a lung aneurysm. My nanny had emphysema in the lungs. And uh, for years, she uh, she was struggling with breath and then she drowned in front of my granda. Her, her lungs exploded and she drowned of her own blood of a lung aneurysm in front of my granda. And I, I just remember, Jesus Christ, is that? Fuck. And I was like, Christ, I can't breathe. That's what's right. That's what my nanny's actually here. And I run in to tell Rosie and Rosie said, just go sit on it, Paul. Just meditate on it. So I did. So I sat down. I know this, listen, I know there's a lot of people going, fuck me, he's lost the plot. I really don't care anymore. I know what I felt. And I know what happened. So I went down to my bed again and I lay down and I started meditating. And I just said, Nanny, is that you? Nanny, is that you? Can you show me a sign? And um, as I said that, the, the the breathing got harder again. And I started, and I felt this need to purge. So I just sat up and I purged and vomited like I have never, I, I haven't vomited like that. I, I literally felt half a bag of vomit. And um, the second that happened, bang, my breathing came back. I was like, I could breathe again. I was like, whoa, what the fuck happened? And I got up and started telling people, Jesus Christ, this is crazy, blah, blah. But then my breathing started getting really bad and I couldn't breathe properly at all. So I sat back down again and I lay back down. I was like, Nanny, is that you? And this is when, this is when I knew it happened was true because her smell came to me. I just smelt her. And there's, my, I love, my, the thing about me, nanny, I had my, my nanny had what I call a turkey neck. So her skin was all loose here, right? It was all soft. Call me weird, but I loved to hug her. Even as it went, right up until I was like, until the day she left. I always called her a wee woman. And um, I used to love hugging her because her neck would go against my neck and it felt so soft. And I just loved this feeling. And I felt that. And I could feel this right here. And, um, I was going, Nanny, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I, and I remember saying, I remember that my last words, there was like, don't, I remember before I went to Australia, she died when I was in Australia. And my mate, Robbie McLaren, was giving me a lift to the, the airport and he picked me up from her house. And my last words were, don't you dare me, be woman. And I knew that that was my last time ever seeing her. I knew she was going to die that day. I knew that was the last time I'd ever meet her. And right enough, she did die a couple months later. But um, wee woman was always what I called her. And uh, it was brilliant. I was like, Nanny, is that you, we won? And then, as I said that, the pressure in my lungs got harder. And it got harder, and I was like, Nanny, 
what are you doing? And I like, and then the more I asked, the more I asked the question, Nanny, what's wrong? What are you trying to tell me? The harder my brain got, and I like, I'll admit to anyone now, I smoke weed. Well, I did smoke weed like crazy, and um, I always give up on my nanny. I always give out to my nanny about smoking tobacco. Like, I always, she was a really heavy smoker, and I used to always go, "That's when you. That's going to kill you, wee woman." That was always my line here. When you stop killing, when you stop smoking, wee woman, that's going to kill you. And uh, the more I thought about nanny, the more the pressure my lungs got. And I just said, "Right, nanny, I'll stop smoking joints." And literally, as I this, and that, by the way, sorry, the breathing got so bad, I was like, "Oh." Was breathing the gut. That's all I'd get into me because the pressure in my lungs were getting more and more. And then I just squeezed with like, Nanny, right, I'll stop smoking joints. And as I said that, it's just like the pressure came right off me. I actually said, Sorry, wee woman, I'll stop smoking joints because that thought came to my head. The, the, the uh, sorry, that's why I was telling the story. The um, the, the that's that saying I said there, will you ever stop smoking, wee woman, came into my head. And when that came into my head, I went, Right, Nanny, I'll stop smoking joints, I promise. And literally, like that. The breath came back to me, and it was like her smell was gone, her feeling was gone, but there was a sense of peace, and it was like I was, I didn't get to say goodbye to her, and uh, that was, I think that was her saying goodbye to me, and it sort of gave a warning, go crap, out here, um, that was her sort of saying goodbye to me, and I was, it was beautiful, but it was, it was hard because, like you love this woman, like I love this woman so much, she was, she was, she was one of the most important people in my life. And it was nice, to, and I know, like I know, people are thinking it's crazy, but I know she visited me. I, I, I felt her there. I smelt her. That, that feeling, you can't, you can't fake that feeling. That the, the pressure on my lungs, you can't, you can't fake that. It was there. But that whole experience, that whole weekend, what the, the, the most profound, they were fine experiences. But what I, what I learned from that weekend. Is that we live in a sick, sick society. I've wrote about it. You'll, you'll read it. You'll, you'll read it when I post it. But you know, like thirty, there was nearly thirty people there. We're all different ages, different backgrounds, different life experiences. Um, all different belief systems. Well, Mike, you're right. I don't believe it's crazy, but there will be people who will believe it's crazy. But I really don't care, mate. I know what I felt, and what I do know is that. The reason we 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 live in such a as such a tormented sex society is because of the way it's being run, the way the way we're made to believe what we want, what we're we're forced we're sort of conditioned to believe we want more. We don't we want human connection. I felt so safe among nearly thirty strange people. I was able to open up and say things that I can't say to my own family. And it was because of that profound shared experience we all had and that willingness to be, for all of us to be vulnerable and to open up to our own emotions and feelings and thoughts. And it was those thoughts and those feelings and that, um, that, that, that willingness to say what you're actually truly believing and feeling without the fear of judgment. It, it's a healing. It, it, it's actual healing. Now, it's left me pretty fucked up this time. I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty emotional. Yesterday, I was in the depths of despair. But I have to accept that because it's part of the process. But I can't expect to be healed in one weekend. You know, I've got to integrate myself back into society. And society's sick. Where there's so much hatred. And I can see... And, and anyone who's done ayahuasca and done these things will, will agree, will know what I'm talking about. 
it it's you it it opens you it opens your eyes it opens your third eye your pineal gland eye to seeing the trauma in this world, and you understand that the pain and the suffering that this this the COVID bullshit and the vax bullshit, the hatred and anger towards each other. That's the elites taking control, taking advantage of knowing that they have created a society where trauma is just there from day one. When you think about what trauma means, what trauma is to people, when you when you cry as a as a two month old baby or a one month old baby, and you're expected to be picked up, and your mum and dad doesn't pick you up, you're not you're not picked up and held. That's trauma. That's subconscious trauma because you maybe you might remember it now, but your subconscious remembers that feeling of rejection. You don't you're you're not there to understand that you're maybe your mum in the toilet or something busy. All you know is that you need to be held and someone's not there. So that's your first moment of trauma. And then you've got to think of all these other moments of trauma as a child, not from the adult you are today, and not that's rational. You can rationalize your feelings and emotions and you can justify feeling the way you're feeling and explain it to yourself to ignore it or repress it deep it down but try to think about your try to think about how that trauma would feel if uh if you're if you're a two-year-old child if you're a three-year-old child if you're an eight-year-old child that rejection from the people who you love the most the, the the most important people in your life your parents your grandparents your siblings that that feeling of rejection that on that on your that inability to rationalize why and just we when you um you the emotional um, connection of that rejection is um is very profound, and it leaves unless you unless you deal with it, unless you actually learn to c- control or to deal with it, then it 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 becomes locked inside of you, and it it starts dictating actions. So it's like children; we start throwing tantrums because we're scared of that feeling happening again. And that when you're when you're around these people, and you're you've never met them before, but you're able to tell them about anything like there was people talking about profound sexual abuse um parental abuse emotional abuse emotional traumas you know deaths loss love it was it's it's when you're able to open up and be human and you're able to and yeah and other people are being human and you're either communicating and connecting on a different level it it's it's it releases things inside of you and uh, it gives you hope. Like it, it did, it was like, I have never felt as safe in my life than I have in those integrations both times. And it's because you're in a group of people who are willing to, not sorry, not willing. The willing isn't the right word because it is scary. We're not, we don't just walk in, bounce and go, woo, we're gonna tell a story. It, it takes the, the facilitators, Joe and Roisin and Colin, Peter, Monique, Glenn, Neve. It takes them poking and prodding and asking the right questions at the right time and not allowing you to gloss over the the, the most important parts that bits you're trying to just sort of pretend don't exist. They, they find a way of, of invoking these emotions out of you. And it's then, once you admit it and once you open up to it, it allows for a different dialogue. It allows for a conversation to happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that is where the healing begins. The ayahuasca, the bufo, the oppo, it, it opens the door. It's the key. It turns the key, it puts the key in the door and opens the door. But 
I would say an education is us walking through the door. And when you walk through the door and you're in a different room, you can see things differently. Do you know, like, that's the way I try to describe it. Like, imagine, I'm in my bedroom now. Imagine my bedroom was the only life I'd ever seen or was the only, my only life experience. So everything, everything in my life would be based upon this room. And then Ayahuasca comes and gives me the key to open that door. And I open that door and I step through and I'm in the hallway and there's other doors to open now. But it gives me the ability to see that I'm outside of this one room. And because of I'm outside of the room, I'm able to go in a different, I'm able to see things from a different perspective. So the healing journey has only started for me. And I, trust me, I'm like I said to Kale, I'm going to do this three or four times a year. Um, simply because... I want to, I always want to grow. And I, and I was talking to one of my friends and he's like, he didn't want to, he didn't want to think that you'd have to do this. And you don't, I suppose you don't have to do this. This is my personal choice. I want to do this more simply, I think mostly because of that safe place there is. They, they, what I and I do amazingly well is they, they, they offer you a space that allows you to be the authentic you. And you you don't fear judgment, and I think that's the biggest problem. Because look, we're talking social media here. We all know what social media does and how how it um how it's like just set up for trolls and the judgment. And if you if you're ever like what I'm doing right now, I'd say ninety percent of people wouldn't have the balls to do. Because when you're leaving yourself, when you're speaking about your your true raw emotions and experiences, and and like you know the bit you hide it leaves you open for ridicule but it's sad that you know that that we live in a world and society that you know we all talk about you know virtue we're all virtue signaling motherfuckers and this and these things you know why oh, i'm doing it for my friends and family you're not really you're doing it for you you're selfish if you if we, if this society was really about helping others everyone would be able to do this and everyone would be able to do this without the fear of trolls coming on and ridiculing them for experiences they didn't have no control over and forming opinions that have happened as a child when you don't have any ability to rationalize what happened so you're 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 forming these opinions based on emotion and the fear and then we're, we've come we're yeah we're in this woke society so we say we're in this society where you know we're, we like to we like to put in positivity quotes and it's it's seen as awesome to put up a post that's saying a a good quote, a store quote or something like that. But when it comes to actually listening to people and um, empathizing with people's suffering and people's journeys, it's a different story. You know, it's, we're all very selfish. And that, uh, that, that, that space that they offer and they provide, it gives you that opportunity to truly experience that. And that experience allows you, just, it allows you a taste. It's like that chef t- tasting his soup you know, before he serves the people, it allows you a taste of what life could be like if we all were to just look inside ourselves. I have that that's something I that I really took away from this weekend. It's like we're all talking about, you know, this the, the toxic earth we live in now, you know, the the greed, the corruption, the the the, the, the trauma and the pain. And we all like you know what everyone else should do. Well what everyone else should do is look inside themselves. If we all were willing to look after number one and be selfish, but be selfish in a way that's beneficial. You know, like go inside yourself, acknowledge your fears, speak about your fears, talk about the, the, the traumas that you've been feeling, 
and and not fear the judgment. And and then you'd be we'd be in a position where we could help each other, and it's through helping each other and through this um this willing to be vulnerable and this willing to speak about our traumas and our experiences. Remember, these things that have, that have formed us, our personalities. There there are it's happened that from as a child. We, we, we wouldn't judge if we see a three year old throwing a tantrum. We're not going to shout at three year old throwing a tantrum and judge it. It's it's doing what three year olds do. But the forty four year old me is still acting in a way from that six year old self. So my tantrums, my anger, my outbursts, a lot of them come from my six year old self who's repressed and doesn't understand what's going on. And we are all like that. And when we can see ourselves. We can look when we can look upon others as that dummy's child, and you can hold each other as that dummy's child. Like we 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 done a fire ceremony, and it was absolutely fucking amazing. Actually, I couldn't stop laughing. We done that. It was it was everything was done as a unit. We were done as a team, as a, as a tribe, and we were like like there's this thing we do. Ocho Pacha, we touch the floor. Um, Kaya Pacha, which is the earth, and then Hano Pacha, which is this the sky. And you, Ocho Pacha, Kaya Pacha, Hana Pacha. And we've done this thing, and it sounds mad, but we're all doing it together. And we're all growling at the fire. We're all on our hands and knees growling and screwing each other. We're doing these crazy things, but it was doing it together. It brought you together. And it, it, it allowed you to be foolish. It allowed you to connect, like tap into that inner child. And when you drop the adult and you just allowed yourself to be you, the, the, the connection was phenomenal. The, the the power of that and I am I am internally grateful for the facilitators that that I know because they what they're doing is just it, it it really is healing. It's like people need to people need to drop their fear, not drop their fear, like acknowledge their fear and allow themselves to be vulnerable, allow themselves to be human because that is where healing healing is found in humanity. We're not human anymore. We're, we're not. We're so focused on technology. We're so focused on making money. We're so focused on presenting an image of the person and the lifestyle that we want others to believe that we're actually repressing the person we truly are. And it's that repression that's making us feel miserable and making us feel that we have to do these things. Like, I've decided that I'm going to be more honest about everything I do. And fuck the judgment. Like, fuck it. Because, like... If I'm going to be me, then I'm going to. If if I'm the true, authentic self, then I will attract those people who are going to help me become who I want to become, and it's going to help me form the bonds and the and the life and the 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 culture and the gym even that of the be surrounded by people who I want to be surrounded by people who um people people who are more authentic. I think that's I think that's what I've taken away more than anything. I tasted authenticity in life. I tasted authenticity in humanity. And it's been like, that, after that fire ceremony, you do the divorce in your parents ceremony. There's never a dry eye. I've done it twice now. And Roisin is absolutely fucking amazing. Not, and the tears flow freely when you, it's called divorce in your parents. So you divorce your parents. Sounds weird. But I'm not going to go into it. But it's, it's a pretty profound experience. But um, afterwards, you hug each other. And you go around and you make sure you hug every single person. And that is, do you remember as a child when you hugged your mummy? 
you hurt your knee and you really hurt your knee or you hurt something and your mummy hugged you, your parent or your grandparent you hadn't got mummy, whatever it was, or whoever it was that loved you truly and you hugged them and you just, or maybe you've got your own child and your child hurt you, hurts themselves and you hugged them and you hugged them with so much love and so much like your, your every ounce of being is in that moment and in that hug. Every person I hugged that day in that moment, it was like that. It, it was it was true love. It was and in that connection there felt a sense of belonging and there was no worries, there was no fear. It was beautiful. It was it was genuinely the most beautiful experience. I'm not saying that well I do believe everyone 